Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true king. Now, what you need to understand, if you've been with us during the time of the Gospel of Mark, you know that Mark starts his entire book with this verse. It's what it says. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that the word Christ uh, in the actual Hebrew is Messiah. In the Greek, it's Christos. In, in the English language, we just use the word king. But it basically means someone who is a ruler, someone who is an authority, someone who is a dignitary, a power. That is. And so Mark starts off by telling us that the story is about to unfold for us and unpack for us is the story of the king. Not just any king, but the king of all kings. And it's the story of this king. So what we need to understand too, in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15, that Pilate, when Jesus was ultimately crucified... Jesus was crucified as a would-be king, a would-be Messiah. The reality is, you and I know, today, dead presidents are failed presidents. Dead kings are failed kings. Dead messiahs are failed messiahs. And yet that was not the end of the story. Jesus was crucified as a would-be messiah. And if you know and understand what messiahs or kings or leaders, or rulers, or dignitaries are supposed to do, is they're supposed to bring order out of chaos. They're supposed to bring harmony out of disharmony. That's what, or, that's what rulers, authorities, dignitaries, kings, officials are supposed to do, all right? Uh, and we realize, obviously, if you're anything like me, kind of a little bit skeptical or cynical of the way the order of this world works, because we realize that's not oftentimes how things actually transpire or happen. Right? Amen? But the reality is, is that Jesus is a king, and he's come to rearrange that which is broken, to restore that which has been lost, to redeem that which has been sold away into slavery. And this is what we see. So the resurrection of this would-be king who was crucified validates the fact that he is indeed not just a resurrected teacher, not just a resurrected rabbi, but ultimately, he is the king of all kings. It's interesting because kings, in a very general sense, they have the power of death. They have the power of death. Any king who has any power under his own authority or, or jurisdiction, he has the power to put people to death. But the king of kings has power over death. That's what makes Jesus ultimately unique. So the, first of all, the resurrection validates the fact that Jesus is indeed the true king. The second thing that we notice is that Jesus is the sin bearer. Throughout Jesus' life, when he talked to his disciples about what his mission was, Jesus had a mission. There was something that he'd come to accomplish, something that he was coming to do. And we're told, for example, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said this, the son of man, that's Jesus, came to give his life a ransom for many. And the picture that Jesus painted was that he had come into this world to take upon himself the pain and the atonement or the sin or the suffering of the world upon himself. He was going to absorb it in himself. He was going to pay a debt that was owed. He was going to not only just pay the debt, but also pay the back payments as well as the interest on the debt. That's what Jesus meant when he says that he was going to be an atonement. New Testament describes Jesus being, big theological word, moment for you, propitiation. 
basically means Jesus came to cover, to atone, to wipe away, to remove, to purify, to clean our sin. He came as a sin-bearing Savior. Perhaps one of the best ways to picture this is maybe if you've already seen the movie Les Miserables. If you haven't, I'm going to ruin it for you. Not really, though. There's a scene in the movie where Jean Valjean, at sort of the end, is rescuing the life of a young man. He's on his shoulders, and he literally just comes out of the sewer. He's literally got sewage all over his face. And the most unbelievable picture in that particular scene is that Jean Valjean is basically giving his life. He was a dignitary, he was a noble, he was a mayor of a city, but he lowered himself in order to take upon himself the slime and the sewage of the system in order to save and redeem someone. In reality, he was a rebel. This is the picture of the gospel. This is what Jesus did. This is what he claimed to do. He came to bear upon himself our sin, your sin, our rebellion, but to take it upon himself. In other words, the picture is, is that Jesus himself, he was soiled for us so that you and I who are soiled by sin can be made clean. That Jesus came and gave his life It was crushed so you and I who live our lives attempting to live our lives but nonetheless are crushed and oppressed by the sin and the brokenness of this world can actually be given a life. Some of you guys know what this means. Some of you live your life in oppression. You're oppressed by sickness, by disease. You have a boss that you can't stand. He oppresses you. Maybe you're in a marriage that's oppressive. Maybe you're in circumstances or surroundings that you really have no control or authority over, and you're oppressed. Pressed down, pushed down, destroyed, tarnished, soiled by those things. We as human beings, we're broken. We're flawed. We not only sin, meaning we miss the mark of God, we do things that we ought not to do, but at the same time, we have things done to us that not only defile us because of the things that we do, but oftentimes we're defiled by because of things that are done to us. And yet the picture of the gospel is that Jesus claimed to come into this world to lift that from us, to be our sin atoning sacrifice, to lift up from us the oppression, the sin, the brokenness, the dysfunctionality that basically destroys us tarnishes us, puts us out of sync, out of harmony with our creator God who made us. To live in relationship with him, to live in fellowship, to live in harmony with him. That Jesus came to restore ultimately this particular picture. So what we have ultimately in Jesus is we see that Jesus comes not only to take care of our sinful deeds, but also to take care of our righteous deeds that are done with horrible motivations. See, the reality is the gospel doesn't really let anybody off the hook because at the end of the day, whether you are somebody that looks at yourself and thinks, I'm not worthy for Jesus, I've sinned a lot, or I've been sinned against a lot, and I just simply feel broken and defiled. Or you're somebody that says, I'm very religious. I read my Bible a lot, I go to church a lot, I'm part of a choir, I do religious things. Look, at the end of the day, even your best deeds, your best religious deeds done with a motivation 
that is not loving and honoring or serving God or serving other peoples tend to be something that is turned inward, bent in and on, uh, in on itself. They are our little attempts to somehow become the kings of our lives, which in that sense, it's a subtle attempt to remove King Jesus from his throne in order to place ourselves in the position of being the king. And this is how we live our lives. And yet, the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead validates the fact that everything he said about being a sin atoning sacrifice, one that would cover, one that would cleanse, one that would purify, because Jesus rose again from the dead, it validates the fact that everything he said ultimately came true. And the final thing that I want to take a look at this morning is that Jesus is ultimately the prototype of things to come, meaning that because Jesus rose again from the dead, it not only vindicates the fact that he is the king of kings, it not only validates the fact that Jesus is the sin bearer, but it also validates the fact and vindicates the reality that Jesus is the prototype of things to come. I'll give you an example. To quote C.S. Lewis, here's what he says. The resurrection narratives are not a picture of survival after death. They record, for, uh, they record how a totally new mode of being has arisen in the universe. Something new had appeared in the universe, as new as the first coming of organic life. It's absolutely amazing, and I think very important to note, that Jesus rose again from a tomb in a what? A garden, right? Hello? It's okay. A garden. It's a big place, but we're still a small church. In a garden, Jesus rose again from a garden. The first life that God placed upon a planet through Adam and Eve were in a garden. This is where life began. It was in a garden. New life began in a garden. This is really significant, and Mark wants us to see this connection, that what God was doing by raising Jesus again from the dead was nothing short of launching a brand new work by way of launching a brand new humanity. This is what we see with Jesus, that when you think of it this way, Jesus did a lot of miracles, right, throughout his life. There's a tendency for us to focus upon the fact that Jesus was born into this world. And for example, like even a lot of our creeds, uh, some of the creeds might say something like this, that he was born from a virgin and then ultimately was crucified under Pontius Pilate and suffered, died, and was raised again the third day. That's awesome, but the problem is it completely cuts out 33 years of the guy's life. Completely cuts it out. It's very important what Jesus did. It's one of the reasons why we have what's called the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus' life. And throughout the story of Jesus' life, we see Jesus doing miracles. Jesus healing people. People that are blinded, Jesus opens their eyes. People that are deaf and can't speak, Jesus opens up their mouth so that they can speak again. Opens up their ears so that they can hear again. People that are basically tormented by demonic presences, Jesus causes that to cease. Another interesting thing is that Jesus, throughout the Gospels, anytime he attended a funeral begin to realize that Jesus really isn't too much into funerals. Because every funeral Jesus went to, he resurrected people from the dead. Every single time, including himself. He doesn't do funerals. This is amazing about Jesus. So why does Jesus do this? Why is Jesus operating this way, acting this way? Because here's the unbelievable reality, the beautiful reality, I should say, of the resurrection of Jesus on this first Sunday. 
is that Jesus' miracles were not just simply a suspension of the natural order. It was ultimately a reordering of the natural order. And what I mean by that is what Jesus is basically saying, I want to give you a preview, a trailer of coming attractions. I want to show you what life will look like when I ultimately come again and rule and reign as ultimate king of kings over all things. That which is broken will be made right. That which is dysfunctional will become functional. That which is sinful will be straightened. That which is out of order will be placed in order. That which is in disharmony will be placed in harmony. This all began at the resurrection. It was the launching of a brand new humanity giving us, you and I, a brand new hope of what to look forward to. And this is what's absolutely amazing when we look at Jesus ultimately restoring all things, restoring this natural order. The beauty of all of this is that because all this happened on that first Sunday of the week, that Jesus was resurrection, resurrected, he gives us a snapshot as to what he can also do for you and I and will ultimately do for all of humanity who trust and love and honor him as king. In other words, Jesus has the power to take your life, which is broken, your life, which is in disharmony, your life, which is out of sync, your life, which is stained or soiled or defiled, whatever type of circumstance or dysfunctionality or brokenness or sinfulness or sinful state you find yourself in or whatever types of circumstances you've done to other people in which you feel the defilement from. Jesus has the power because he resurrected from the dead to restore you. The word restore, love this. Break it down. It's the re-story to put you back in his story. Sin, in the most simplest definition, is you and I trying to rewrite the story around ourselves. That's it. You want a simple definition of sin? It's us trying to say, story's about me. I'm the author of my life. Everybody is a bit player in the story which supports me. Here's, prove it to you. Because when people don't line up according to your storyline, your script, how do we react? We're frustrated, we're angry, we're, we're just out of control because they're not making me look good. That's our story. And God says, you're trying to build your own little story that will ultimately end in death. And Jesus has the power, because he rose again from the dead, to restore you, to put you back into his story whereby you find life in him, you find freedom in him. This is why oftentimes Christians can get accused of exclusive claims, like Jesus is the only way. But look, at the end of the day, it boils down to this. The reason why Christians make that claim is because any other path that we take, even though it may end or may lead you in paths where you have better improved life, you know, if you were a smoker at one time, you, you, can, you can go through programs to quit smoking. If you were a drug addict, you can go through programs to quit doing drugs. You can improve the basis of your life in certain ways and areas. But at the end of the day, what Christianity claims is not to just simply help improve your life. It's to change your life ultimately by first crucifying you with Christ because only unless there's a crucifixion, a death, 
can there be a resurrection? And this is what Christianity promises. Only Jesus, in Jesus, do we have the power, the ability that's given to us not only to die, but to rise again. To be given a whole new hope, a whole new humanity, a whole new life. And this is what we see with Jesus. Look, at the end of the day, sin, someone once described it this way. Sin is ultimately vandalism on God's shalom. God's desire, God's project that he was launching in that tomb, from the tomb, in that garden, on that first day of the week, was to bring about shalom, his peace. When you and I often think of peace, we think of peace in terms of cessation from war, or cessation from problems, or sickness, or disease. It, It doesn't mean less than that, but it means far more than that. And the reality is, is what we see, that what God is doing is he is started a process, a movement, whereby he will spread his shalom throughout the entire cosmos. You want the fuller story of that, you got to read Romans chapter 8. I'd read it if I had more time. But to just think about the reality, what God is doing through this project of new creation, of which Jesus Christ is the prototype of which he's working all this out. So sin ultimately is vandalism on shalom. Another way to describe sin is our attempt to emancipate ourselves from God. It's our attempt to say, God, I don't want you leading, directing, guiding, shepherding my life. I want to lead my own life. I want to be the one that caused my own shots. I don't want accountability to anybody. But the reality is, is if God, the way the Bible claims, if God is in and of himself light and life, that to press into God leads you to greater life and greater light, but to walk away from God doesn't lead you into greater life and greater light. It leads you into darkness and ultimately death. And yet the picture of what we see with Jesus is that he comes into this world to restore. Someone once described it this way. When Jesus first came, when Jesus came into this world in the manger, someone once described it this way, that this was the picture of God coming into a bad neighborhood and starting a restoration project. This is God coming into a really bad, messed up, broken down neighborhood and launching a brand new project of restoration. This is what we see with Jesus. Look, at the end of the day, this is why Christians should, above all other people, look at what we do in this life and give it value. This is why we see orphans in Ukraine as valuable, because they bear the image of God. They're valuable. They're human beings. They bear the image of God. You don't need to meet them necessarily to somehow give them value. This is why Studying science and applying science is valuable. This is why selling property is valuable. This is why if you're a gardener, it's valuable. All of these things are ways of which we take this natural order, which is broken, and bring about restoration. To do it in a way that brings God honor and glory that are nothing more than little trailers, little snapshots, little evidences of the fact that God is doing something brand new. And it's all through his son, Jesus. This is what we see. This is what the resurrection testifies to. So at the end of the day, I want to finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Again, he says this. Because God wants to change, transform this world. That's what God's doing. This world is broken. It doesn't function properly. 
It's sinful. It has a bent towards unrighteousness. And the reality is you just got to look at the news. And that is more than enough evidence to realize this. But the point of the matter is, is that God cares about this world. John 3.16, one of the most memorized verses of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whosoever believe in him, there's that exclusivity again, would not perish but have everlasting life. That God cares about this world. That when Jesus rose again, he didn't rise again as a spirit. He rose again in a physical body. In fact, the disciples were so disbelieving that Jesus had risen again in a physical body, he had to keep proving it to them by eating barbecue in front of them and by making food and just somehow realizing, causing them to realize that flesh and blood need to eat, but spirit doesn't need to eat. That God cares about this world and restoring it. And that means that God cares about you, restoring you. And the resurrection is the greatest reality, greatest event that demonstrates the fact that not only is Jesus the true king, that not only is Jesus the sin bearer, but also that Jesus is the prototype of things to come. He's the prototype that God desires to restore you and I through what Jesus did. Again, listen to C.S. Lewis. He says this, but God became a man... To turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men out of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better than, uh, better, but like turning a horse into a pegasus. That what God is doing is not just simply trying to train you to be better. Christianity is not about moralism. Christianity, maybe for some of you, you have been raised up or been told by Christian pastors that all God cares about is whether or not you drink, smoke, or do nasty things. I'm going to tell you on behalf of other churches, other pastors, I'm going to speak on behalf of the church global, if for some reason if that's the message you've taken. I apologize. That is not the message of the gospel. That is not good news. That's horrible news because at the end of the day, none of us can attain to that level of moralism. But what God does care about is Jesus and how we respond to him. And guess what? When we trust in Jesus, he begins that new humanity at birth, at work in us. And as we trust and love Jesus, we will naturally end up becoming like Jesus. Meaning, our morality will change. But it will change by way of a greater, more powerful foundation than just simply straightjacketing people into moralism. It begins with Jesus. To quote Mr. Beaver, Aslan is on the move. Winter is being undone. This is what the resurrection shouts. That winter is no more. That death does not have the final say over your life, over this cosmos. That God is in charge and he is remaking all things new that are broken. And he calls you and I to be a part of this by faith, by trust, by repentance. This is why the gospel basically says to join, to be a part of this, to respond. There's two things God calls us to do. One is to repent, which means to turn from our former kingdoms. To turn from the former ways in which we have turned our backs on God. To acknowledge that, to recognize that, that our kingdom and our pathways that are in opposition to God, 
we need to put down our arms, to wave the white flag, to say, God, I surrender to you. That's what repentance is. But belief is turning to God, saying, I trust you. And the reason why you and I today can trust this king is because he's not like any other king. This king is a king that laid his life down for you. He didn't come to shed the blood of his enemies. He came to have his blood shed for his enemies. This king came not to crush those who are in opposition to him. This king came to be crushed for those who are in opposition to him. This king is motivated by one powerful motivation. Love. He loves you. He sees our lives that are broken. He sees our lives that are oppressed. He sees our lives that are defiled by sin. And he desires to restore us, to put us back into his story. This is what I want to welcome you into. I want to pray, and I want to give you, if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, or if you're somebody that's walked away from Jesus, and this morning you desire to come back and walk in relationship with Jesus again, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel today. Because at the end of the day, we're here, we're in an amazing building, we want to not miss the opportunity. So I'm going to have the team come on up, and what I want to do is I'm going to invite you, but I want to pray, and the way that I want to do this is that as we begin to uh, play the song, Anybody here this morning that is not a Christian, that you would like to give your life to Jesus, surrender your will, surrender your kingdom, wave the white flag to repent and trust and believe what Jesus has done. Or if you are someone that has walked away from God and you realize that your life has kind of become broken, it needs restoring. And you want to respond and you want to trust and you want to be prayed for. I'm going to have some people come up here and they'll be available to pray while lots of teams. So the moment I'm done praying... If those of you that would like to come forward, as well as those that will be available to pray, if you guys can all come forward while the music begins, we will pray for you. This is not to put a spectacle on any of you. This is to just give you guys an opportunity that if you want to respond, we want to pray for you. We don't want to miss this opportunity. So let me pray. And then I'm going to ask you all to stand as soon as I'm done praying. And as the music begins, both the teams of people that will be available to pray, as well as those that want to respond to the gospel Respond to King Jesus to come forward. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did. Thank you ultimately that you have demonstrated victory and power over sin, death, the devil. And that you have given to us new life through Jesus. That he is the king that has resurrected, has risen again, and he's demonstrated his great power over all of these things. And so, God, I pray now that we would trust you and see you as the one who gives us life and that we would come to you. So, God, for those here this morning that maybe don't know you, they're not Christians. Those here this morning, God, that maybe have heard before but for some reason have fallen, fallen away. Or others maybe have works of righteousness they need to repent from. They've been doing everything right. They've been religious. But in reality, their motivations have been broken and misshaped. God, I pray that you would bring restoration to people's lives here this morning. Let's all stand. And as the music begins, I want to ask you guys to come on down. Don't be afraid. Realize this is kind of a challenging thing. It's kind of tough. You know, 
feel like people are looking at you. Don't, don't let that hinder you. Look, at the end of the day, I mean, we're a church. I mean, we realize, obviously, when we do Easter service, there's a lot of new people, new faces that come. But we love you guys. We're a family. All of us have been in places before where our lives are broken. But Jesus loves you guys. He wants to restore and redeem and renew and forgive and wash you guys. So maybe we just turn down the house lights just a little bit and just come on down just as we sing. And then I'll pray for you guys once the song's over. God, you know the hearts of every person in this room. You know those that have, um, have broken their lives. Their lives are broken. And you desire to restore, renew, and repair, redeem. 
God, I pray that you would do that in their lives. For those that may have walked away, that you would bring them back. God, thank you for the resurrection that points us to the most profound event that shows us, validates who you truly are. God, we're going to sing another song. Let's just sing with all of our heart. I mean, honestly, this is, this is resurrection day. Today is a celebration day. So let's, let's sing as if we really truly believe, I know you guys do, that Jesus truly is risen again from the dead. Okay? So let's sing with all of our heart. Let's declare the praises of God. If you're still here and anything that's going on in your life and you need prayer, we have people that really truly want to pray for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Don't allow anything to sort of keep you away. So you're more than welcome to continue to come on down and have these people pray for you, okay? Let's sing this last song. With all of our heart. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us.
redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss my heart beats violently inside of my chest On, stay standing. I want to. I want to finish by just saying. Make sure this thing doesn't fall off my head here. Hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Resurrection Sunday, and that you would recognize the heart and the depth of God's love to invite you in to this plan, this purpose, this work that God has begun. But He's still doing it. He's still raising people, still changing people still restoring people. And now God gives us the call, the commission to go be part of this project. So that means every person we love in the name of God, every person we give a cup of cold water to in the name of God and the grace of his son, every person we help who's marginalized, hurting, poor, broken, in the name of Christ is all a part of that ongoing trailer things to come, awaiting the day when King Jesus will come again and do away once and for all, all the sin, brokenness, rebellion within this world. 
And he'll reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And those who trust and love him as king will be with him forever and ever. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We have an unbelievably beautiful and bright future he invites into. Amen? I want to finish with one final thought. I'm a preacher. I have like four finishes. Um, I want to actually, this is totally different. I, I want to take a picture of you guys. Is that cool? Totally has nothing to do with anything. But I'm going to do a quick little panoramic, okay? So you guys just look your best. All right? And by the way, if you take photos today uh, and you upload them to Instagram, just put them with a the little hashtag, Calvary Slow. That way we can all see the good little photos that you guys have been taking throughout the day. And uh, the final thing I'll say is these guys have been working really hard recording a great album. They, they just finished. It's actually available in the foyer out front. So please feel free to pick it up. It's wonderful. These are our worship leaders. Uh, they serve and love our church faithfully. Uh, give them a round of applause and thank them. It's awesome. And I want to say special thanks to all the little kids. You guys have been awesome. So you guys ready? Here we go. I'm going to do a panoramic. So everybody smile. Look nice. It's not going to really catch your face that well, so it's fine. Here we go. You guys are great. You guys are being so good. <laughs> Happy Resurrection Day. Love you. Do you want us to do one more? Should we do one more song or should we? Do you have one? What's that? Do you have one? Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of all creation. Beyond our galaxy, you are home.